Hello everyone. Welcome to another weekly episode of the Limitless Podcast, a place where we bring you the global leaders in sales and marketing. My name is Vivek and I'll be your host today. Today, we are speaking with Evan Knox, the founder and CMO of Caffeine Marketing. Hello, Evan. Welcome to Limitless. Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Vivek. Thank you so much for joining in today. I'm really excited about the conversation we're going to have today. Uh, so for everyone listening, the topic for today is what mistakes do most people make when it comes to marketing? So, uh, well, a strong marketing campaign will uh, connect you with the right customers, get people talking about your company, introduce your product or service to the media, and set up your business for financial success. However, uh, even a small mistake in your campaign can cost your business quite a lot of uh, in lost revenue and other expenses. So Evan here uh, is here to shed some light on all the things about uh, marketing mistakes, revenue leaks, and the best way to go about marketing. And I'm sure this session is going to be thoroughly insightful. Uh, so tune in. Uh, so before we begin, uh, Evan, it would be great if you could tell us about your story, why you started Caffeine Marketing, uh, what you've been doing since, the, if you can share the journey so that our users can relate with it. Absolutely. So I was kind of always that guy that grew up selling lemonade or golf balls that I found on the golf course. So entrepreneurship was kind of normal. And I thank my grandfather and my dad for that. They were both business owners and had started a couple of business ventures. So that was just normal. And I remember going to work one day with my grandfather. I was probably 12, which in the U.S. is considered kind of, it's, you would do it under the table at that point. It's not legal child labor laws, but I'm going to work with my grandpa at 12. Admittedly, I'm sure it was just, it was free childcare. And so I go into work with him on the weekend or whatever, and he's teaching me about what he's doing as far as marketing goes. And I remember him pulling me aside and letting me help him create a pamphlet or a flyer to go into the Atlanta Symphony. The Atlanta Symphony is like an orchestra kind of thing, symphony here in uh, the area. And so he proceeds to teach me, hey, this is what we need to have on here. Here's the mistakes that people make. Here's how people waste money on marketing, et cetera. And I remember at that moment, I really loved the strategy of trying to figure out what the right words to say and where to actually you know, advertise to. I thought that was really interesting. And then fast forward to about uh, four years ago, I was working at a nonprofit and part of my role was marketing. And during that season working there, my, my dad had passed away and my grandfather was you know, close to retirement. And I thought, you know what? I can't help my dad anymore because he's no longer with us. And my grandpa's about to retire, but I can't help other small business owners and entrepreneurs like them. So that's why I decided to start Caffeine Marketing so that I could help make marketing profitable for other small companies and small business owners. Wow, that's inspiring. So uh, I see that like you're very specific about small businesses uh, and even in your website and LinkedIn, all your profile, it says the same. Uh, any particular reason? Yeah, so I think that there's a different approach to marketing when you get to over 500 employees or you're doing like over $50 million in revenue. Um, you're more focused on brand, like branding at that point, because more people are familiar with your product or service, unless you're like a SaaS or tech company, which, you know, the margins there are totally different. Um, and I, I think one reason is because I wanted to design capabilities that were meant for small business owners like my dad and grandpa. So the... The systems and processes that we would have as an agency are different than that of what we would do if we had an enterprise client. Um, I probably honestly, I mean, that's not to say if somebody showed up with a big check, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> but I, I don't have a desire to go out there and work with these really large companies, even though um, there's certainly more margin that way. I just, 
I figure, you know what, I got a short time on this earth. And if I'm going to help anybody, I want it to connect to my personal mission. And I feel much more of a connection to the small business owner or even the executive. Like sometimes in these small companies, you've got one guy or gal who is responsible for sales and marketing. Um, they're a slim team and they really need help to make marketing profitable. It feels more like a problem to solve instead of just building out proposals for big wigs to sign off on, if that makes sense at all. It makes perfect sense. Uh, let's jump into the question straight away then. Uh, my first question is, uh, so whenever it comes to marketing, explaining it to not just people within your company or your clients, it is always hard to say that like, what exactly are you doing and how are you giving visits? Uh, so how can we make marketing easy for people to understand, uh, be it business order or be it internal communication? How can we make it easy for people to understand? I break it down into three different categories and I basically I oversimplify a marketing funnel and I just do brand awareness, consideration, and then conversion in those three steps. And if you think of it as brand awareness is nobody will buy your product or service if they're unaware that you exist. And so the first problem that you have to solve is making people aware that you actually exist. And so a lot of people spend money on marketing, hoping to try and get in front of somebody so that they can pitch their product or service. They have a brand awareness problem. Mm -hmm. Then we move on to consideration. This is the point where somebody's aware that you exist, but yet they're not ready to buy your product or service. They're not sure if you can actually solve their problem for them. And this part of the marketing funnel, we're just reinforcing your messaging and educating people as to why you're the guide and you can help them solve the problem that they have and also help them win the day. So a lot of the consideration phase is, you know, emails that we're following up with people who've downloaded a free PDF on your website. It's um, Facebook retargeting ads, you know, anything that's going to reinforce your messaging that when people go to make a buying decision, they think of you. And then lastly is the conversion, which is the event that we all want to happen. That's the sale. That's them signing up to get a lead um, or, you know, submit a quote, something like that. Um, and that process is just about making it as easy as possible for people to work with you and reducing all the friction involved, you know, like a lot of forms, uh, form fields on your website or, you know, pop-ups on your website that actually help you increase conversions on an e-commerce store, things like that, that are actually going to increase your conversion rate. Once you've already sent that people to your, sent the people to your website. Got it. Uh, just a follow-up question on this. Uh, so you have divided, yeah. uh, it is easy for me to understand when you put it this way. One is brand awareness, consideration, and conversion. So uh, conversion and conversation, uh, consideration, uh, leaving those two aside, when it comes to brand awareness, I do a certain set of activities. So how will I know that, okay, I have a reputable brand, at least the target population or my target audience at least know my brand to some extent. What are some indicators of that? Survey, as much as that sounds boring, um, if you were to survey the local community and pay some sort of consultancy, that would actually probably be the very best way to do it. You might spend a lot of money, you know, surveying people. However, um, that's going to give you a realistic result, you know, and say, all right, I, hey, are you familiar with this brand? Um, yes or no? Um, what's your perception of this brand? Would you want to work with this brand? Um, in my experience working with clients who have done surveys, that stuff is really helpful because then we know that if 80% of the population is not aware that they exist. Now, now we can target those 80% and we can use that as a goal. So surveys are great, but you can also look at it as a, I mean, you have to understand this is sort of like branding um, in a way, because if you have a disconnect from how people currently perceive you and how they think about your brand or you as a person and how um, you want them to perceive you, you have a branding problem. Because if those two are not the same, then 
you know, you're not aligned and people are not going to see you as the, the guide in the story. So you know, you have two elements there is one is, do they even know you exist? And then do they actually understand who you are when they figure out you exist? Got it. As the topic of the uh, podcast says, what are the common mistakes you see people do uh, in marketing nowadays? Uh, there are two that I think are the most, most common. Um, and it, it manifests itself in two ways. Um, business owners and entrepreneurs and, you know, executives, they often speak about their company as the hero. They talk about how awesome they are and they go on and on about their product and their service. But in reality, people are not looking for a hero. Customers and consumers are not looking for a hero. They're looking for a guide. They're looking for somebody to help them win the day, uh, to be successful, to avoid pain and loss. And if you talk about yourself so much that you're the hero of your own marketing, they're going to tune you out because they are not looking for another hero. The second mistake is that they don't measure any of their marketing campaigns. They don't put in any sort of analytics in place in order to measure that. And what this manifests, manifests itself as is that you've got a lot of entrepreneurs or business leaders or whatever that are throwing money into marketing just because they heard something on a podcast and they go, oh, we need to try TikTok ads or billboards are really cheap right now or we, sh we should try Snapchat, anything. They hear a hot buzzword they throw money at it and they don't have a system in place to measure if that was actually effective. And it's all subjective at that point. They're not actually calculating the return on investment. And it's really hard to scale a company if you don't have a direct return on investment that you can tie to your marketing. You're guessing and gambling at that point. Absolutely right. Like what cannot be measured cannot be managed from that. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. So uh, when you said like, this is quite interesting. Uh, you're not the hero of the story. You are the guide. Could you elaborate a bit on that uh, with probably an example that would be great? So I, we, Caffeine uses a, a seven-part process called StoryBrand, and this all okay. comes from StoryBrand. And what StoryBrand does is it uses the elements of a screenplay or a movie and applies it to your marketing because 70% of the day or somewhere around that percentage, uh, the brain is just daydreaming. And the only time it's not daydreaming is it's engaged in a story. And so the idea is that we're going to use the elements of story to engage people into your marketing messaging so that they will actually listen to what you say and want to buy your product. The common examples, and let's just go to movies, is that, you know, there's Obi-Wan Obi Kenobi or um, Yoda in Star Wars. He is the guide in the story. Um, sorry, specifically Yoda, because he's already been there. He's the master. You know, he's already been there, done that, conquered that, and now he can help Luke Skywalker win the day. And then eventually we see later on the more recent Star Wars movies. Now Luke is the guy. Luke has already had his battles. He's fought those battles. He's won those battles. Now he's guiding Rey along that journey. Another example is the Hunger Games. You've got Katniss Everdeen. She's got to win the Hunger Games for District, District 2 or 11. I don't remember District which one. 11. Yeah, District 11. <laughs> um, and you've got Hamish, right? He was also from District 11. And so he has won the Hunger Games before. And so now he is the guide in that story. And the, if we were to extrapolate that idea out to us as business leaders, we go, you know what, this really isn't about us. The story is not about us and our product or our service. It's about the consumer or the client. And so if we can actually uh, see ourselves that way, we'll actually communicate in a way that is about the other person. And maybe an oversimplification is don't make it about yourself, make it about the other person and how their life is gonna be better on the other side of working with you. Got it. Oh, that's a nice way of learning it. So I, I believe this is what you have in your nine-week course, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, so definitely part of that. So 
we have a course called Caffeine Labs um, and the Business Mastery by Caffeine Labs. And what it does is it teaches people step-by-step um, as far as business leadership and structure goes to actually double or triple their company's revenue. Um, and it's built, honestly, it's built off how I've been able to do that for my own company. So for the last three years, I've been able to double our bottom line revenue every year. And right. it just teaches people that same framework for your personal life, for your business. And it will also hit on marketing for sure. Awesome. So I, I went through the uh, course with, uh, the framework a little bit. So you talk about revenue leaks uh, in your uh, nine week program. Can you like, broadly talk about what this coursework entails and what can one learn about it uh, specifically yeah. revenue leaks. so think of revenue leaks as in this particular i feel like hits home for small business owners uh, but it also is super applicable for organizations as they grow because they they get a lot of fat really is they just accumulate expenses that are directly affecting the bottom line but as your revenue grows you kind of excuse these things you go oh i'm gonna add this software or we're gonna uh, make our bookkeeping in-house or we're going to hire an HR department and you start adding all these things that don't directly contribute to the bottom line of your company and they end up taking away from all that revenue that you worked so hard on. So that revenue comes in and it leaks out the side because you've got all these random expenses that don't directly help you grow your company. And so what I do is I, I break down a framework, which let's oversimplify it here and say, identify go through every single expense. So pull all your expenses. If you have a really large company, this might take a few days, but pull all of your expenses out on a, a spreadsheet and maybe print it out and go through and mark, does it apply directly? Does it help you contribute to your bottom line? So does it help you grow your company as far as um, revenue goes or your top line? Everything else on there, you need to figure out a way to trim. And I would put employees at the very last of this because I wouldn't want anybody's like job to be in jeopardy necessarily. Um, but I would look at every other expense first and go, okay, it doesn't directly contribute to our top line revenue, but is there a way for us to trim this expense or cut it? So can we trim it or trash it? And if you can trim the expense, that's great. So like two softwares that are my favorite that are really easy for small companies to um, get a lot, lot back from revenue leaks is Bench, B-E-N-C-H. Um, it's a bookkeeping software that I love. And then also Gusto, G-U-S-T-O. Um, it's a great payroll solution. Right. And revenue leaks are not always just actual monetary leaks. They can sometimes be time leaks. So if you've got uh, people who are not in their sweet spot, who are not doing what only they can do. Like, let's say you have a developer who's filling out spreadsheets all day. It's probably not the best use of the developer's time. You know, there's probably other uh, better uses for his <laughs> high, high hourly rate. You know what I mean? Well, uh, this is uh, quite interesting because when I first read it about revenue leaks, I, I thought like it would be more along the lines of uh, drop in conversion percentage or something to do with the landing pages or why is your ads not converting? But this angle, I, uh, I didn't believe, but uh, I think as a small business, uh, these are things actually can drain you out. Uh, I will add those description, like links to Bench and Gusto in the description. Yeah, and there's like, um, I don't know how to quite articulate it, but I, I see it all the time, especially when I'm, a, I do a lot of like small business investing. So when we look at it, okay, balance sheet and all the expenses that a company has, people just tend to accumulate these little things and they might be $20 a month. You know, like at one point you needed that specific Shopify plan for $15 and I get it. It's $5, right? Like if you're a two, $3 million company, you go, Oh, well, it's only like five, 10 bucks a month. I'm not trying to be cheap here, but you add that up. And if you can invest that back into your employees, your employees are going to have better quality of life. Um, so I don't disregard the extra five to $10 a month. 
take that expense and maybe reinvest it back into your employees and pay them more. You know, like there's better uses for your money, I think. Uh, so while you're on that, you mentioned the second common mistake is analytics. People not being able to measure what is actually going on. Uh, yeah. Could you suggest, uh, because there is Google Analytics is there and there are a lot more software available. Uh, what are the things that would serve a small business owner best? Like, can you give an example? Okay. Yeah, I'll give you, um, this is one of my favorite hacks, if you will, um, is if you're running Facebook ads, you should upload offline conversions. I use a tool called Zapier or Zapier. I don't ever know what yep. it's actually called. It's brilliant. Yeah. And uh, what I do is I will, let's say we're using Jotform or, um, or even Shopify, really. What I'm going to do is I'm going to integrate Shopify, whatever form stack form we're using. And I'm going to tell that, tell Facebook, hey, here's all the information from this form via Zapier, I'm just going to call it. Um, and what I'm doing now is telling Facebook, hey, these people actually bought a product. Um, here, here's how much that was worth. And we're essentially educating Facebook. Hey, these people are actually buying our product or service. And now I'm able, better, better able to measure what our advertising spend is getting us as far as revenue goes. Because if I just rely on a Facebook pixel, so a piece of JavaScript that goes on your website to track yeah. it, you're going to get a, a very high error rate. And specifically with people that are on, are on Safari, sometimes it has problems tracking on Safari. And so uh, a private browser, they might switch devices, something like that. You're going to miss 40 to 50% of your actual conversions that are happening. And so if you can offload the, off, upload those offline conversions after the fact and mm -hmm. tell Facebook, hey, here's the stuff that actually happened and let them match it back to the profile, you're going to be able to better understand how your revenue um, is affected by your ad spend. Because let's say, for example, I'm running ads for a Shopify campaign and within the ads manager, and I hope I'm not getting too technical here, but no, if I'm only able to- Technicals are really okay. good. All right, so if I'm able to see without that offline conversion that I'm getting a 3X return on ad spend, let's say for that company, that means I'm barely breaking even. If you add in agency fees and also ad spend, that means I'm, I'm breaking even at that point. But really, if I upload offline conversions, I'm better able to track what's actually happening and I'm getting 5X return wow. on ad spend. That's, that's way better. That's a big difference, right? That makes so a lot of difference. Totally. Um, and if I didn't know which campaign was actually getting me the results mm -hmm. and I just was just relying on the Facebook pixel, uh, I'm not going to know which ones to scale. And so now I'm better educated to actually scale these campaigns to grow the company. Yeah, 3X to 5X, that's a quite a big deal actually. And yep. it completely changes your ROA. Uh, so Zapier and... Uh, so just to summarize, so what you do is... Uh, you get all the conversions offline, get it integrated with Zapier and give it back to Facebook. So it better understands who is converting better and run more uh, campaigns and scale it. Would that be right? Yes. And you could, you could optimize for offline conversions as actually a campaign you could run within Facebook ads. But generally what I'll do is I'll do like, let's say it's e-commerce, for example, I'll run some sort of catalogs, you know, campaign or a purchase conversion campaign. And then I'll also add in that field at whenever I'm looking at the report and that way I can better understand because Facebook might see that three X and that's all Facebook knows. But if I can see, I'm really getting five X in that campaign. That's amazing. Like for example, there's a one, one client, the retargeting campaign is doing great obviously because you know, you're retargeting really hot leads, but one of my top of the funnel campaigns is actually doing better than my retargeting campaign, which is crazy, which means it's a really hot audience. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't know that unless I had the offline conversions going. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. 
uh, I think I'll have to have a one separate discussion with you just to get into the specifics. Uh, yeah, for sure. Because uh, the reason being, I, I handle uh, Facebook uh, campaigns in my current company. So yeah. it's been a huge learning curve. So it, sometimes it gives me sleepless nights. Sometimes it gives me like, oh, holy shit, this is working so well. Yeah. So, yeah. But I'll definitely try and like catch up with you sometime so we can have one specific conversation about uh, for sure. campaigns. Uh, so uh, this is kind of a, a off topic. So uh, you are the CEO, actually the founder and the CEO, uh, CMO of uh, Caffeine Marketing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you talk quite a bit about like uh, retaining employees, how you can invest more for employees. So with that in mind, so uh, what are the key qualities of being a great leader? Uh, I know this is kind of off topic, but I thought uh, being a leader of the company, so especially during these times, I think this would help. Yeah, I think the number one key to leadership is empathy. And I am not at all like a frou-frou, feely, touchy-feely kind of guy. Um, (laughs) I don't know if empathetic is the way that people describe me. I Maybe one day, but not today. But I do think it's the most important key to leadership. And the reason why is it's not just, hey, you're having a bad day. I want to be empathetic to the thing that you just share with me. It's actually predicting hey, how is this going to make somebody feel? So if I empower somebody on my team to make decisions and then I come alongside them and I start micromanaging what they're doing, if I'm not empathetic to how that might feel to them, I'm going to sabotage their ownership of a task and I'm going to therefore get like worse results. And I'm not going to be effective as a leader because I'm going to have to be making every single decision for them. So if I could be empathetic to how somebody might feel about a decision I'm making, then I'm going to be a much better leader. And also I've got to have the courage to ask people, like people that I've worked for in the past, I have wanted them so badly to go, how, how am I doing as a leader? And, and I wanted to be like, it sucks right now. It sucks. Um, and here's why. But if they don't ask, it doesn't indicate to me that they're willing to, to actually receive that feedback. So I think a way that you become empathetic to how people are feeling is through feedback. And you're going to ask people, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Um, how am I doing as a leader right now? Like if I'm going into a one-on-one with my team, I try to send them, if I know I'm going to be asking them to give me feedback, I try to give that to them a few days ahead of time. Because if I just catch them on the spot and I'm like, hey, by the way, how am I doing? They're going to be like, oh yeah, uh, great. Uh, you know, um, so I'm not setting them up for success. I need to be empathetic to what it might be to feel like them and they might need to write it down, which I, I totally get. You know, I've worked for people for a long time. So if we can be empathetic to, how somebody's experiencing us uh, in a scenario and we're going to be self-aware um, and I'm definitely not perfect at self-awareness by any means, but we're going to have people who stay with us longer because they trust us and they feel safe with us. And I think that's really important. Two things. Uh, one, uh, first, you reminded me of uh, John Stewart. Uh, this happened a couple of days back when he came on uh, Okay. Yeah, show. Uh, what he said was, I'm not a touchy-feely guy, but what at this time, point of time, uh, the U.S. needs is as a person who is empathetic. So you, uh, just my mind suddenly went there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, second thing is, um, one thing you said like made sense because when you just um, a lot of feedback session happens, skip meeting happens in a lot of companies, and most often like you're put on the spot uh, where you ask to give feedback. I, I don't have time to think. Uh, just say hey, everything is all right, everything is cool. But I really haven't had the time to actually think about or reflect what is happening. So giving your employee time ahead, that really makes sense. Uh, Okay. Now, uh, when you're testing out new campaigns or new ideas, how do you influence people? Uh, How do you get them motivated? And especially when it works and when it doesn't work. Um, And how do you 
get them on board. So there are a couple of things I think can either help or sabotage your influence. Um, let's go with the stuff that sabotages your influence first is if you're not faithful with what people give you or they, they you know, they hand to you, then they're not going to give you more authority and ownership and responsibility. So I think that it's really important that we could, you know, as, as employees, um, you know, it's, it's really important that if you say you're going to do something that you do it, you do it really well and not just a, you know, I've got, uh, got a handful of people on my team that work um, in Romania and I've got a couple that work in the Philippines. Um, and I really love, even if I don't give them the most clarity on a project, I feel like I can really trust them if they see the project from beginning to end and they make sure like the results are awesome and they own that. So I think being faithful is, is really important. And I love that about them because I know that there is a language gap sometimes and I still appreciate the fact that they own the task. They don't just use that as an excuse to just check a box, you know? Um, so that's something that can sabotage your influence is not being faithful with what people hand to you. Also not being self-aware. So if you don't understand how people perceive you in a certain moment, um, you can come off as brash, uh, or like inappropriate or unkind or insensitive. Um, and so I feel like I have to pay a lot of attention to myself because there's stuff in my heart that I don't want to come across necessarily with my mouth or my face. And so if we are not self-aware, then we're going to sabotage our own influence. Now, the thing that I think is key to build influence um, at a, a macro level scale really quickly, it's kind of like my cheat code to influence, is if you could provide clarity and then solution for something. So if you can identify a problem that somebody is feeling, and particularly in a meeting, so like let's say the, the directional or executive or leadership team of a company is feeling like, okay, we have this problem here, we don't know how to quite articulate the problem, but if you can come into that room and say, hey, here's the problem, XYZ and you can outline the problem and articulate the problem, they're going to see you now as the person that can provide that solution to that problem. So a really easy way to build influence in a company is just to identify problems and provide solutions for them, which kind of leads me to the second side of, of building influence is you don't make it about you. Um, it's still going back to that hero versus the guide, even though you're the employee and you work for somebody else. I think if you could see yourself as the guide, and because everyone's the hero of their own narrative, if you can come into it with, you know, what, I'm gonna help my boss succeed today because I know that my boss is an Enneagram three and he really cares what people think about him. I'm empathetic to that. I get that. So if I can help him look successful, I'm gonna be successful. And so I feel like if you could just take yourself out of your own head and care about other people, it becomes a lot easier to win influence. Got it. So the next one is uh, slightly technical, and this is uh, for my learning as well. Um, one of the things I always had is, uh, if I'm running a campaign, especially digital campaigns, um, oh. and sometimes, like a lot of times it doesn't work as per plan. So when it comes to digital plan uh, marketing, where I see there's a lot of links, if one of the links is not working well, and the whole thing can fall apart. How do you go about, okay, to understand the reason why is it not working in the first place? And uh, especially when you're working with uh, clients, uh, and you wouldn't have a lot of luxury to experiment a lot because you have to deliver at the end of the day. How do you go about fixing your mistakes fast or understanding why something is not working? Yeah, so it really comes down to the scientific method that I feel like I learned in middle school. Um, if you can understand that you have to manipulate one variable at a time to, over, to figure out what the result of that's going to be, uh, you're going to be well, well served. And what I mean by that is that if you go in and let's say a Shopify we're looking at a Shopify store, we're running ads to it. Uh, all of a sudden stuff starts going haywire and I start freaking out because I'm worried the client's going to freak out. 
and I go, okay, I'm going to change up the email campaign. I'm going to add this app in here. Uh, I'm going to change the timing of this particular SMS text that goes out. And I start tweaking more than one variable at a time. I'm going to have a hard time figuring out what was the thing that actually fixed it and what was broken. And as much as it sucks to sit there and see the revenue go down or stay stagnant, you have to be patient and willing to let it play through a few days. So I might, uh, there's multiple times that I've cut all ad spend. Like, let's just say I'm going to cut all of the Google ads. So I'm going to cut Google ads for three days and then I'm going to cut Facebook ads for three days. And I'm going to better understand how Google ads affects our top line revenue and how Facebook ads affects our top line revenue. But you have to be willing to not have that revenue for a few days because it's going to hurt your revenue. So you just have to manipulate one variable at a time and be patient, um, which is really hard to do when it comes to money. You know, you talked about managing Facebook campaigns for your company it's really easy to lose a lot of money really quickly if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and so I, I feel that, but you have to manipulate one variable at a time and you have to go a few days to play out correctly. Okay. Uh, so this one is oh, to generalize. I know it might sound greedy. Uh, what do you think is the easiest way to grow a company? Great question. Um, not to sound like I'm redundant here, but I think the easiest way is to make a shift in your marketing. Mm -hmm. from being the hero to the guide. I was on a website uh, this morning, actually, and they're another marketing company. And I'm not at all dogging them because they provide more like a live production marketing instead of like digital marketing. But everything was about them, their entire website. Here's how awesome we are. Here's our um, skill set. Here's our, you know, here's our tribe. Here's our whatever. Um, and none of it, I couldn't find a single thing. I almost wanted to send it to some of my story brand friends, which would probably not have been so nice and been like, Hey, check these guys out. You know, they're the hero of their own marketing. So if we can make that flip, that's probably the easiest way uh, to actually grow your bottom line revenue without even spending additional dollars on your marketing. I mean, it's just very simple. Flip, flip the script. So this is my uh, last question for the day. So one thing I want to ask is, having come from the background, you as you had mentioned, like you were more of a hustler, like from the lemonade, all this thing. And I'm mm -hmm. definitely sure... Uh, pretty sure that like your path wouldn't have been like always straight, uh, always uphill. Uh, you would have faced a lot of ups and downs. And one thing I wanted to ask is, uh, how did you manage at the time of adversity? And what are the things you learned? Because the reason I'm asking is a lot of businesses are going through uncertain times. And uh, one quote specifically like stuck with me is uh, when Brian Chesky, the CEO of uh, Dropbox said, it took us 12 years to build a company and it came to nothing in six weeks. So that was bit painful to watch because it was a company I admire. Uh, so what do you think people can do at the time of adversity? What have you learned? And yeah. Yeah. So there's a, a guy that I was talking to one time and he said we defaulted training. So he was a military guy, which I thought was cool. I'm not a military guy, um, but I really appreciated his perspective that when, and he was, a, I think he was an army ranger. And he said, you always default to training. You don't default to your best. You default to training. So he's like, we train at our best for like high stress scenarios. And whenever that stressful scenario comes back, we know exactly how to respond in that scenario because we're, that's what our training taught us. We don't have to think about it because often when we feel stressed, cortisol inhibits the frontal lobe of our brain. And therefore, we're not able to actually think rationally. So it's in training that we really prepare ourselves for you know, current circumstances or whatever. My training, I felt like, was really when I was in high school. So my dad started to uh, relapse and started to do drugs that he was doing um, before my parents got married. And that was really, really hard because I felt like we lost everything. You know, our house got foreclosed on. Um, a lot of stuff got repossessed. And it was really scary. 
And in that season, I started to lean on my faith, which was really important to me, like my faith in Christianity and Jesus. And also, and I'm sure that that's not applicable for everybody, uh, but it was important to me. But the second part is I learned to have a internal locus of control. I couldn't articulate this as a high schooler, but I just pretty much in my head, I've decided, you know what? I can't control everything. I can't control my dad. I can't control the situation, but I can control myself and I can control how I respond. And so in that moment, I said, you know what? I'm going to really lean into my faith here, which may not be the answer for everybody. Um, but it's this perspective that, hey, I can't control everything around me. I can't control the world. I can't control um, stuff that's outside my circle of control, but I can't control me. And that's all I'm going to focus on. And so I feel like during the season, we would be well served to probably articulate and write down what are the things that I can't control? What are the things I can't control? And then just leave the, the rest to God or the universe or whatever you believe. Aaron, this is awesome. Uh, it makes uh, perfect sense because, uh, as you said, like you can't control a lot of things, Aaron, but what you can best control is how you act. It makes super Absolutely. perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, um, it was really inspiring and uh, very insightful. Uh, thank you, Evan. This was one awesome podcast we had. Uh, there's a ton of insights in marketing, especially for small business over owners and you've given us a lot to think about I, for me I, personally um, especially the one you mentioned about one variable at a time it is a, a very a nice way of putting it so I, I will definitely go and work on that and I'm looking forward to learn more and uh, thank you very much for spending time with us today uh, see you again uh, before you go where can people follow you Evan? yeah the easiest way to reach out is to go to caffeine.marketing or evannox.com, either one of those. Um, it's got my contact info on it and would be happy to chat. Got it. Uh, so if I'm not wrong, anybody who is dealing with a business about $200,000, go to kefen.marketing.com and reach out to Evan. Or if you're doing below that, you can always talk to Evan at evannox.com. I'll share the links in the description of the podcast. Uh, it was great having you, Evan. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks again. Stay tuned to our weekly upcoming episodes with more sales and marketing leaders from around the globe. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google and Stitcher as well. Subscribe to get notified when a new episode is out and please do leave us a review if you're on Apple. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Hey!